Well, good morning, church. It's great to be with you online this morning, and hope you all had a wonderful Thanksgiving. Today, we're wrapping up our sermon series that we've been in for the past several weeks on 1 Peter. I've titled this message, Time to Grow Up. Time to Grow Up. I heard a story about these two guys who grew up together. Uh, They went through school together. They even went through college together. But after college, one moved to Maryland, the other moved to Texas, and they uh, decided that they were going to, in order to stay connected, they were going to meet in Florida every 10 years, and they were going to play a few rounds of golf, and they were going to go out to eat and stay connected. So when they were 32 years old, they both met in Florida. They played a few rounds of golf, and then one says, well, where do you want to go to lunch? The other guy says, well, let's go to Buffalo Wild Wings. He said, well, why is that? He said, well, they've got some cute little waitresses there serving tables. Why don't we go down there? And he said, great, sounds awesome. At age 42, they meet and they play some golf again. And then one says, well, where do you want to go to lunch? And the other says, well, let's go to Buffalo Wild Wings. They've got, uh, and he says, why? Well, they've got all these big flat screen TVs and you can watch any kind of sport that you want. They've got all these different games playing on all these different TV sets. And the guy said, that sounds good. Age 52. After that round of golf, uh, one guy says, well, where do you want to go for lunch? And he said, well, Buffalo Wild Wings. He says, why? Well, he says, the wings are pretty good, and they've got some uh, good parking places. Age 62, uh, once again, after a round of golf, one says, where do you want to go? And the other says, again, Buffalo Wild Wings. Uh, Why is that? He said, well, wings are half price, and the food isn't too spicy. Age 72, they meet again. After a round of golf, one says, where do you want to go for lunch? How about Buffalo Wild Wings? The other says, why? Well, they have six handicapped parking spaces right by the front door, and they have senior discounts. The other guy said, that sounds awesome. At age 82, they meet and play uh, a half a round of golf. Uh, One says, where should we go for lunch? One guy says, Buffalo Wild Wings. He says, why is that? He says, because we've never been there before. Okay, says the other guy, sounds great. Let me ask you, how many can relate to that in here? Unfortunately, we're all getting older every day. And today that thought is actually going to be something that's going to tie right into my message. Not so much about getting old, but actually about growing up. There's a big difference, and you'll tell as we get into the message. But we've been studying the book of 1 Peter. And if your world seems a little chaotic and dark right now, uh, or if your own personal world seems dark, Your own personal life seems dark. This is the book for you. Peter's got the answers for us. In the midst of life's hardship, uh, or hardships and troubles, Peter brings out the fact of who Jesus really is and what Jesus wants to be and who he wants to be in our lives. And as you go through this book, in so many different ways, time and time again, Peter brings out the same theme. We talked about it the first week of this study. It's hope. That we don't have hope in ourselves. We don't have hope in a world. We don't have hope in a government. But we have hope in Jesus. Jesus is the only hope that we have. We talked about how he is our living hope and he is our future hope. But I want to start out in chapter 2, verse 1. It says, Therefore, laying aside all malice, all deceit, hypocrisy, envy, and all evil speaking, as newborn babes desire the pure milk of the word, that you may grow thereby. If indeed you have tasted that the Lord is gracious. I want you to notice how he starts this chapter and verse out with the word therefore. It's kind of a strange word to begin a thought with, but he's actually not beginning a thought. He's actually carrying over a thought that he had from chapter 1. Where he's talking about God, he's talking about the word of God being the truth of God. 
And he says in a few chapters back in verse 1, he says this, You have been born again, not by corruptible seed, but by incorruptible seed, which is the Word of God. He's really bringing out how important the Word of God is in all of our lives. In the very last verse of chapter 1, verse 25, before we get into chapter 2, it says this, This is the Word that was preached to you. So Peter's coming with a point based upon something he's already taught, something he's already preached about, something he's already introduced. So he's saying, therefore, and he gives us the idea of the milk of the Word. Now, if you've ever read your Bible or if you've been in church any time at all, you know that God's Word is full of encouraging words that encourage us to keep reading the Word of God, to seek out His Word and His will uh, for ourselves each and every day. If you... uh, The Bible's full of scriptures, but I want to pick out two. Job cried out in Job chapter 23, verse 12. Listen to what Job had to say. I have esteemed the words of his mouth, God's mouth, more than any of my necessary food. Jeremiah said in Jeremiah 15, 16, Your words were found, O Lord, and I did eat them, and they were to me the joy and the rejoicing of my heart. You know, the reality is there are hundreds and hundreds of scriptures about the word of God. Too many to even start with today. But I want to pick out those two that were from Job and from Jeremiah. Both brought out how the Word of God is like food. I think that's exactly what Peter had in mind too. When he said in verse 2, As newborn babes desire the pure milk of the Word, that you may grow thereby. How many remember that old saying, you are what you eat? It's basically saying if you want to be fit and healthy, you need to eat good and healthy. If you're eating Twinkies and Big Macs all the time, your figure is going to look like a Twinkie or a Big Mac. But I want to make a spiritual shift here. I want to shift that thought into a spiritual direction. What do you eat a lot of spiritually? What are you craving spiritually? What are you hungry for spiritually? What I'd like to do is begin in uh, verse 3, not verse 1. And I want to focus on the, this, this two-little word phrase, if, in, if needed, if indeed. So verse 3 says, If indeed you have tasted that the Lord is gracious. Really, without even looking at verse uh, 1 and 2, all three verses kind of focus on this little word, if. And it really uh, brings out the fact that if this is true, then this is supposed to be true. If that's going to be true, then this is going to be true. And you could easily replace that word, if, with since, and it would read like this. Since indeed you have tasted... So Peter's bringing out this list of five things that we all struggle with. And notice I said all, because all of us as believers struggle with every one of these things. But once you've tasted how gracious and how good God is, you're going to want to push those things aside because Peter's saying they're junk food. Push them aside and make room for the good. Peter's saying when you taste of God's goodness, you're experiencing it. You're not only experiencing it, you're experiencing Him. On a personal level, you're experiencing His goodness and His grace and His graciousness in your life. You didn't read it in a book. You didn't even hear it in a sermon. You experienced it for yourself on a personal level. Kind of takes me back to what David said in Psalms 34. David said, Oh, taste and see that the Lord is good. I love that. David said, Won't you give God a try? Just taste and see how good He is. Taste and see how wonderful He is. Because David is saying, I believe if you'll just taste God, give him a try, you're going to get hooked. God tastes better than sin. God's graciousness tastes better better than all the earthly pleasures combined. 
David's saying, once you've tasted him, you're going to get hooked. I know that from personal experience. Once you've tasted the goodness of God, he's got you. As a Christian, you first tasted the goodness and graciousness of God when you gave your heart to Christ. Anybody remember that day or maybe that night when you surrendered everything over to Jesus? I remember that day. I remember that morning. I remember this big weight of guilt being lifted off of my life. That morning, I didn't see a vision. I didn't hear an audible voice, but I felt this burden of guilt lift from my heart, lift from my life. I was set free because I experienced God's goodness, His graciousness. I grew up in a Pentecostal background, and I went to a church where I felt like I always had to work really hard to prove myself worthy of God's love. Maybe actually I had to prove it more through what not to do. You know the old saying, I couldn't smoke, couldn't cuss, couldn't chew, couldn't date girls that do. I mean, there were a lot of rules in that church. We were taught uh, how to dress, what music to listen to. I always had this feeling that I was never going to be able to measure up to really please God. Until one day I went to a service, and the minister just preached a simple message of salvation from Romans 10, 9, about if you'll just confess with your heart and believe in, confess with your mouth and believe in your heart that Jesus is Lord, you shall be saved. I prayed that prayer to invite Jesus into my life, and all of a sudden, Everything that I was confused about all of a sudden started to make sense. At that moment, I was set free because I had truly experienced His grace. From that moment, I experienced Jesus as not just the Lord that I've heard about. He became my personal Savior. I experienced Him on a personal level like I've never experienced Him before. So why would I ever want to go back to living my life? And why would you ever want to go back to living your life the way you used to before you got sold out to Jesus? How could we ever go back? Think about it. When you realize just what God has to offer, and when you taste what He has to offer, you're not going to want to go back ever. I guarantee you that. You'd never want to go back. I think it's uh, good for believers to keep a prayer journal. Uh, I think it's good to write down the blessings of God, the uh, prayers that He's answered in your life. And the biggest reason is because we are a forgetful people. We forget what we prayed for. We forget what God answered and what He's done in our lives. And sometimes with that, we get kind of grumpy. We get kind of grouchy. We kind of get a bad attitude. I'll talk about that in a minute. But I want to bring out something that Isaiah says in Isaiah chapter 51. He says, Look to the rock from which you were hewn and the hole of the pit from which you were dug. You know, sometimes it may sound funny to you, but sometimes I think it's good for us to go back to the pit. I'm not saying go back and get in that pit, but I'm saying go back and look inside that pit and realize, hey, I came from that pit. I used to be in that pit. I used to feed what's down, on what's down in that pit, but not anymore. Now I've tasted of the goodness and the graciousness of God. I don't know about you, but I'm thankful today that I'm not in that pit. Think of how many prayers God has answered in your life. Think how many times He sent you a word of encouragement or provision just at the nick of time. More times than we can count, I guarantee you that. But with that in mind, I want to go back to verse 1 because Peter's bringing out these five uh, bad attitudes. They're actually sins. And these sins actually are dangerous because they actually try to take us over and they actually try to kill any spiritual growth that you have going on in your life. So let me read verse 1 again. Peter says, therefore, laying aside all malice, all deceit, hypocrisy, envy, and all evil speaking. 
I love Peter's language there. He's saying, laying aside. It's just like you'd take off a dirty shirt. We're to strip these things out of our lives that shouldn't be there. And if you'll notice, these five sins, they're actually what they call relational sins because they deal with people and our relationships with people. And every one of these five things that Peter is talking about are devastating or can be devastating in our relationships with others. If you go back to chapter 1 in, in P, uh, 1 Peter, he uses two different words for love in, chapter, in verse 22. The first part is, so that you have sincere love for each other. That's a love called philos, which comes from the word Philadelphia, which means brotherly love. Then he says, love one another deeply from the heart. This love is described as agape love, which means unconditional love. It means an ongoing, uh, constant type of love. But the big question is, how can we love others with these two types of love if we have these five things going on in our hearts? How can we grow closer to God when we can't grow in our love for each other? Think about it. You cannot grow vertically with God. You can't grow vertically in your love with God uh, between you and Him if you're not growing horizontally in your love for those around you. It doesn't work that way. These are horizontal sins that Peter's making a point to bring out that will definitely take away your appetite for vertical truth. And they're out to take away totally your appetite for God. You could say these things would stop any kind of spiritual nourishment from happening in your life. I want to break these things down, and when I do, I don't want you to look at these things as just sins that other people commit, problems that they have. I want you to check your heart. Let's get honest before God. Do I have any of these five things going on in my life? Because the truth is, we're never going to fix what we don't acknowledge. Amen? Things aren't going to be fixed if we don't recognize they need fixed. The first one is malice. Malice is a general term for evil. Malice is a desire to hurt someone with your words or with your deeds. and It's a resentment that causes us to lash out at people. It might be quiet when it starts. It might be down on the inside of us, but as it builds and it builds and builds, all of a sudden we're going to speak it out. And then we could be looked at as one of those complaining, grouchy, grumpy people. I don't want to be those type of people. Amen? I heard a story about this guy who was a kind of a grumpy, grouchy husband. And uh, he was always complaining, always seeing everything as being so negative. And his wife, every morning, she would uh, cook him two eggs, um, never failed at it. She always cooked him two eggs, one fried and one scrambled. Well, as he looked at those two eggs on his plate, he looked down and he looked at those eggs and he went, you did it again. You fried the wrong egg. <laughs> the truth is she married the wrong egg. Amen. He shouldn't have said anything. He should have just kept his mouth shut and enjoyed the eggs. Jesus said this. You probably remember this verse. From the abundance of the heart, the mouth speaks. Whatever's in here, in your heart, is going to come out of your mouth. So malice is always going to shut down, always going to close down your appetite for God. It's always going to cause you to lose your spiritual appetite. So Peter's just saying, set it aside because it's only junk food anyway. The second thing that Peter warns us about is deceit. Think about this. As a fisherman, Peter who wrote this, he would have understood the word deceit because it really means to bait the hook. It's what you do when you try to play a trick on somebody in order to get your own way. Think about you fishermen out there. When you go fishing, you're really actually lying to those little fish. 
you take that hook and you cover it up with something to that fish looks like a meal, you're baiting the hook. Amen? It's deceitful. What I'm saying is you're deceitful when you tell a lie in order to gain a personal advantage. Deceit is manipulation. Is, uh, is, deceit is dishonesty. Whenever you're hiding an aspect of truth for your own personal gain, that's deceit. Peter says that's dangerous. Look at the third thing Peter mentions, hypocrisy. The word hypocrisy comes from the Greek theater, which actually means to put on a mask, to get on a stage, and to play a part on a stage. A hypocrite is someone who pretends to be something that they're not. So if somebody's pretending to be smarter than they are, if they're pretending to be cooler than they are, even if they're pretending to be more spiritual than they are, that person's a hypocrite. You know, we all know that a person can come into a church service on a Sunday morning and they can put on a mask. They can act, act as spiritual as everyone else. And then after church, take it off and go out and live however the heck they want to live. Then next Sunday, come back, put the same mask back on again. Start the process all over again. But listen, nothing will ever take away people's appetite for God more than hypocrisy. We've all heard what people have to say about hypocrites. Some of them say, well, that's the reason I don't come to church is because there are too many hypocrites. And I'd have to agree. I'd have to say, you're right, but we've always got room for one more. Why don't you come and join us? Amen? The fourth thing Peter talks about is envy. Envy is something that goes on in your heart. When somebody's blessed around you and you get mad about it, you don't want to see, you don't want to see good things happening in their life. Or it's whenever you're happy about some misfortune that has happened to another person. I believe it's an attitude that says, hey, I should have what they have, and I don't. That's a bad attitude. That's a wrong attitude. Envy is so dangerous because it's a poison that'll turn you into a resentful, angry, miserable, critical type of person. And the fifth thing that Peter talks about is slander. The term slander just means evil speech. Evil speech. It shows up in gossip, backbiting, spreading rumors. Uh, passing along a bad report, taking cheap shots at people, and have you ever noticed that it's almost always done behind the back of another person? When you slander somebody, you're literally trying to destroy their reputation. And again, and I keep stressing this, these are all relational sins that Peter's talking about. And I wonder, if we're honest, how well are we doing in these areas? I mean, are you looking at your life and seeing where some of these five things that Peter's talking about, or maybe all five of these things that Peter's talking about are coming out in your life? Maybe the reason is you've forgotten about the goodness of God in your life. Maybe you've forgotten about the graciousness of God. When we forget how good our God has been in our lives, all of a sudden we start getting a little ungracious toward other people. But I have to stop and think, aren't those the people that Jesus told us to love? He commanded us to love them. Aren't they the ones that He tells us to make a special effort, go out of our way to show them love, show them that we care for them, no matter how hard it is. And I'm not saying it's easy. But no matter how hard it is, God has given us a command to love them. You might say, well, how do you do that? Peter tells us, I think, in verse 2, as newborn babes, desire the pure milk of the Word that you may grow. The highest growth rate in human life is at the infant stage. Think about babies. I mean, they change on a daily basis. I mean, they are amazing how quickly they change, how quickly they grow. And the reason they change is they are eating a lot. They're eating a lot. 
and they're growing really fast in that particular phase. When a baby's hungry and it doesn't get what it wants, it lets you and everyone else around you know that it's hungry, that it needs something that it's not getting. It lets you know loud and clear. So when Peter uses this little metaphor like babies desire milk, he's not writing to his audience and saying, hey, you guys are a bunch of babies. He's not implying that. He's not implying that, that you guys are such uh, slow spiritual growers that you're a bunch of spiritual infants. He's not saying that because many of the people he is addressing are actually very spiritually mature. But to understand this, I think you have to go back and kind of dissect the verse. Pick out one main word in this verse. I think the key word is desire. Peter says, as newborn babies, desire. That means you and I desire. That means we have a part to play. You have to want it. You have to desire it. Some translations say you have to crave it. It's where you've got to have it. It's where you really yearn for it. It's like you can't live without it. Think about your Christian walk. In the same way we as Christians hunger for food for our spirit. We don't always know what that hunger's for. All we know is we've got an emptiness that needs to be filled. It's the milk of the Word. Like a mother's milk nourishes that baby, God's Word nourishing, nourishes us as followers of Christ. A spiritually healthy Christian is actually a spiritually hungry Christian. If you're not spiritually hungry, I'm guessing you're not real spiritually healthy. I mean, it works that way in the physical. Whenever I don't have an appetite and I'm not hungry, I can just about tell you I'm not feeling well. Maybe I'm a little bit sick. So let me ask you, on a scale of 1 to 10, what's your spiritual appetite like today? I want you to think about that. Think about it this coming week. On a scale of 1 to 10, evaluate your own spiritual hunger. Just get honest with yourself. Your own spiritual appetite. One being mildly interested, kind of like you could take it or leave it. Ten being an intense craving. What's your spiritual hunger like? On what level is your spiritual hunger today? Jesus himself said, Blessed are those who hunger and thirst after righteousness. They will be filled. You know, unless you're hungering and thirsting, you're not going to be filled. You have to have that hunger and thirst. He doesn't talk about casually snacking after righteousness. He says seeking after righteousness, hungering and thirsting after righteousness. There are some people that can go a week or two, maybe a month, without reading their Bible. Maybe they don't even know where it's at. Uh, they never pick it up, never read through it. It's no big deal to them, no problem to them. I would just say they just put on their Sunday mask and go to church, take it off, do it again next week. But my biggest point is, what are you craving for? What's your craving like? How hungry are you for God? And the truth is, if you want to grow, don't mix God's truth with anything else. Stick to the truth. Stick to seeking God's Word because it's not the Bible plus psychology. It's not the Bible plus philosophy. It's not even the Bible plus theology. It's actually the pure milk of the Word that only God can give. So back to a baby. Whenever you think of a baby, does a baby want 2% or skim milk? I'm thinking, are you kidding? No way. That's adult stuff. They want the full meal deal. Amen. They want whole milk. They want the real stuff. And you know why? It's because they're growing. They're growing and they're needing that to grow. They don't desire their milk watered down. They crave the pure milk for growth. With that said, you can't grow spiritually, people, without a steady diet of God's Word. You just can't. You can't just pick up a devotional once in a while. 
It doesn't work that way. You need the Word of God on a steady basis, and you can't grow without it. So I want you to ask yourself this question. Am I in the same place spiritually that I was a year ago? Or am I in the same place spiritually that I was five years ago? Have I just kind of settled? Have I just kind of stopped and stayed in one place, stagnated in one place? The truth is we need God's Word in us for growth. We need God's Word in us to straighten us out, to teach us what's right, what's wrong. It's God's way of preparing us in every part of our life, equipping us to be all that God wants us to be. It's like a story I heard about this factory that had to be totally shut down because its main piece of equipment broke down one day, and they couldn't fix it, they couldn't repair it. So they ended up calling in the guy that built the machine in the first place. He invented this machine. And this guy comes in with a little bitty toolbox, and he comes in and he sits down in a chair next to the machine, and he just listens to the machine. He looks at the machine. After a while, he takes out a little bitty hammer out of his uh, toolbox, and he goes over in this one particular place, and he taps on that machine. And all of a sudden, that machine starts working again. So he sends the company a bill for $10,000. And he breaks down the bill. He itemizes it this way. It's $1 for the tap and $9,999 to know precisely where to tap. You know, in case you don't know, God knows precisely where to tap in our lives. Amen? I don't know about you, but I can be reading a scripture and it feels like it's a tap, tap, tap. It's like, ouch, that hurts God. He's trying to bring some change through those taps in our lives, trying to get our life working the way it should. God's Word speaks to us sometimes. Sometimes it challenges us. Sometimes it'll confront us. Sometimes it'll comfort us. Sometimes it'll encourage us. But I guarantee you, God always knows where to tap. He knows that perfect place to tap in every one of our hearts. So my big question is, what are you craving for in this life? I don't know where you stand spiritually today, but I do know that for some of us, God's tapping on your heart. God's tapping on our hearts. Are you listening to that tap? Are you responding to that tap? Or are you ignoring that tap? I believe some of us need to start craving the Word. And you might say, well, I've never had a hunger for the Word of God. How do I get that? Well, how about force-feeding yourself a little bit when it comes to spiritual things? How about making yourself read the Word of God? How about starting that way? How about starting by going to church? How about getting involved in activities with other believers? Because these things will actually stir your appetite. But if you don't do that, you know what you could do? You could easily end up slipping back into your old way of living. God doesn't want that for your life. I don't want that for your life. Spiritually, I believe Peter is telling us, bottom line is, it's time to grow up. It's time to check your heart. It's time to check your growth chart. Are you growing? Or has your spiritual life become stagnant? Today, if you're here today and you're, you're ready to begin a spiritual walk with God like you've never walked with Him before, today's the day to start. If you're, way to, if you're ready to put your faith into action, today's the day to start that will change your life forever. Jesus is here right now. Jesus is waiting. He's giving you the invitation won't you make Him Lord and Savior of your life today? Won't you invite Him into your heart? Won't you let Him tap where He needs to tap in your life to change the things that need to be changed? Because if you're like me, or like anybody, we're not going to do it ourselves. There's no way we can. Could you bow your hearts in prayer? Father God, 
I pray that you would help us by the power of your Holy Spirit not to become critical or judgmental or ungracious toward others because we've forgotten just how good you are to us. Lord, help us to remember every day how good you are. Father, we ask that you would give us the craving and the desire for truth, the kind that Peter and Paul had that said was life-changing. Father, we know that you know where to tap. I pray that we would open our hearts today and invite you to make the changes in our hearts that need to be made. You know how to straighten us out. You know how to provide what we need. So I pray today for anyone that might find themselves without a real spiritual hunger. I pray that they would seek your face. I pray that they would desire your presence and allow you to become real and personal in their lives. And for anyone that might not know you personally today, I pray that they would realize how simple it is to open their heart, to hear you knocking on that door of their heart, and to open their heart and say, Jesus, I need you to come in, and I want you to come in to be the Lord and Savior of my life. Father God, if they'll do that, you promise to bring salvation. Help them to find Jesus Christ today on that level. I give you thanks, I give you glory, and I give you praise. In Jesus' mighty name I pray. And everyone said, Amen. God bless you all. Have a wonderful week. See you next week.